is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Off the Cheek, and you're listening to the London, London, London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast, the last episode that we are recording in the year 2022. One of your hosts, Dan, here alongside Nick Brandon, taking some well deserved RNR. But, Nick, what do we have to talk about at the very end of the year? For individuals, I mean, there's not a lot going on. You know, people are having multiple roast on roast on roast. People are visiting their thirty cousins. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, there's not a whole lot going on. It's football related, and, and that's just Joe. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we're about to enter what some would term as the danger zone uh, of January transfer windows, um, and you know, we thought it would be a good idea. Um, alongside our friend Joe Tweeds, uh, to do a little bit of a precursor to help set everyone up for success, to maybe temper expectations in some places, or uh, you know, provide you know, a beacon of hope in other places if you're uh, desperately sad about the state of our squad or whatever. So, what we're going to do is go through a lot of the boom and bust of a potential transfer window in January, which we know is not kind of the most opportune time to buy and hopefully help provide some context, Dan, to, to everything that may happen in three days' time. Well, it's a guide to surviving the January transfer window for Chelsea supporters. And you're right, we had to bring in our very own Top Gun Maverick, Joe Tweeds, to join us as well. Joe, it's been a little bit, but we're excited that you've been able to find time between roasts, between cousin visits, to <laughs> get an opportunity to talk to us and try to bring a little bit of that calm and that introspective nature that you're well known for. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to show my my first day of, of decompression in in probably what feels like a month now of just solidly eating roast turkey and potatoes and visiting an extremely extended family which keeps seems to be getting bigger each time I visit people as well. So yeah, no, I'm looking forward to the chat today and uh yeah, I like what Nick Nick said there. This is very much the danger zone in terms of the January window, particularly considering we are chasing a bit at the moment. So there's always that kind of added pressure when you are a little bit behind the pack. So yeah, looking forward to uh, to unpacking this with everyone. This is an ultra danger zone edition because we're gonna be coming right off of this world cup which is already a terrible time to buy players yeah uh so ultra danger zone activate let's go danger zone all right we're entering it and uh before we do that just want to remind people that we are uh still allowing people to book for the trip uh joe Mm -hmm. we are not barred from entering england despite our best attempts to get <laughs> to do so uh, on our last trip when we were over in May. Uh, this is an opportunity for us and individuals to join us with our friends at XL Tours on a trip to see Dirty Leeds at home, Dortmund at home, to see the Chelsea women potentially play in the Conti Cup final, or they'll play the Bright Women at home. Uh, look, it includes your hotel and match tickets, plus uh, morning breakfast as well. It's a $500 deposit. Payment plans are available. There's limited spaces left. We're probably about halfway full at this point now, and there's some people who are potentially, Nick, looking at uh, booking, and so we would just encourage, if you are an individual who's thinking about doing so, to get stuck in. There, there are plenty of ways to see Chelsea. It's hard to get tickets these days, so this is a guarantee of tickets, which is always helpful. That's uh, something that you're looking for. Um, these trips are really easy uh, to get through. We know that they're not the most cost effective for everybody, but we think they're pretty cost effective and we've negotiated with Excel to, to get them in the right spot. So, uh, if you're interested, contact at London is blue podcast.com, uh, or DM us. We're doing our best to check those every single day and direct you to the, to the right resources. So, uh, yeah, come on, join us. 
And and Joe, you can advertise that it is in fact a very good time hanging out with the podcast crew. Can confirm? Mm-hmm. I can definitely confirm that. Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely eventful. And for anybody who enjoys the social aspects of football or is unfamiliar with the social culture around football, I'd certainly advise people coming for that aspect alone, let alone the the multitude of matches and obviously the other bits and pieces. But I'm, I'm sure we'll have some uh, some interesting aspects planned as well. Some uh, some live stuff hopefully in the pipeline for for the guys who come as well. Well, I mean, Joe, Joe, you already volunteered a six hour live recording of <laughs> just uh, just so, by myself solo edition yeah. again. <laughs> And you thought Benedict Cumberbatch's Hamlet was good. Wow. Wait till yeah. you see Joe Tweez and the Tinkerman live on stage. Uh, anyway, let's talk about setting the stage for January. We have been burned before. We've had success before. January is a perilous month, and it just hinges on the tiniest little bit of thing going right or wrong for it to be absolute mayhem or complete majesty. And so I'd like to start us off just looking back a little bit, because we know there are people who are newer, maybe haven't gone through a January transfer window before, they've just joined supporting Chelsea, or maybe the PTSD has made it so they're not thinking about past windows. And so we're sorry if this is a trigger. But Nick, why don't you walk us through a little bit of that trauma? We're going to unpack it a little bit. What's the worst January transfer that you can remember, maybe in recent history? Yeah, I mean, this is uh, there, there are quite a few of of bads to choose from, and I, you know, a fair handful of goods. Um, typically, you're not. Uh, th- these are more panic buys around the stage of of the window. So, if you remember it all the way back to the January of 2019 and Gonzalo Higuain. Uh, that is a, a really, really bad transfer that just did not materialize. That was a, a sorry panic buy purchase. And uh, that was to get our attack going and to score a boatload of goals and help us finish top four. And uh, yeah, it just, uh, it was, it was a terrible, terrible experiment. However, uh, you know, you think back to, was it January of 2011? Gary Cahill comes onto the scene. Uh, I think 7.5 million uh, ended up playing a ton of really important football uh, for us, uh, both as part of a two and a part of a three under Antonio Conte uh, and basically won everything there is to win uh, at Chelsea uh, in those, in those short years um, that he was with the club and uh, was, it was a model citizen for, for anyone who was, who was coming through the Academy was really helpful to a bunch of players and, so that was a really good purchase, cost-effective purchase, a winner. Um, so look, there was a lot to do there. But Tweeds, I know that you have some different ideas. Yeah, I think the the one that for, for whatever reason it always just gives me the, the strangest feeling because his greatest contribution to Chelsea was actually getting sent off in about five minutes against West Ham, which is Manish. <laughs> So Manish came to Chelsea, uh, you know, this this player that had obviously been a lot of European pedigree, but clearly was just not cut out for uh, for Premier League football, got sent off. I, I'm, I'm probably exaggerating because this was a long time ago now, but it felt after about five minutes against West Ham, I think we went a goal down and then we sort of rallied back and won three or four one and it was a, an incredible performance. But really that his greatest contribution was getting sent off. So he probably tops one of the the worst signings uh, we've we've made possibly. I think I think Higuain maybe definitely takes the biscuit and probably took all the biscuits when he was here as well. So I mean Higuain probably <laughs> is 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 there as the number one. Uh, in terms of better purchases, I think it's difficult to look over somebody like Branislav Ivanovic, probably Probably, I mean, Reese James will, will maybe hopefully have a, a shout. This was a, the, the you know kind of middle part of his career, but for me, certainly Chelsea's best ever right back 
Um, you know, great, great player for Chelsea. Won, won a ton here, was a phenomenal player. Prompted one of the greatest outbursts on a, on a rival football fan ball that I've ever seen when he scored two goals at Anfield. And I'm paraphrasing a tiny bit here, but the theme was drug test that Russian, which seemed to be the uh, the overall overwhelming theme of, of when he sort of made his big debut. Phenomenal player. And then you've obviously got David Luiz, who was incredible for Chelsea and uh, Nemanja Matic coming back and, and was a real kind of key figure uh, in, in Chelsea's sort of revival under Antonio Conte and, and certainly when, when we won the, the, the last league title as well. So those three probably stick out for me. But Manish, because his best contribution was being sent off, I, it's difficult to overlook somebody whose best contribution was that they weren't there. <laughs> That's that's what the podcasts say about me when they record, you know. <laughs> love, love having him not around. Nick yeah. Manish Fellaini is that is that the new yeah. thing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's great. Huh. That's only when you uh, you big yourself up and uh, can't get off your positive Pop predictions. Come on. But look, we've unpacked a little bit of our feelings about previous January transfer windows. Uh, so I think maybe the idea now should be to set some expectations for supporters in this January window. And I'm going to list off a couple of things that I had in terms of thoughts or rules. And then you guys can tack on to them or adjust. But I would say, one, this is not the same Chelsea who navigated the last Chelsea uh, January transfer window, right? So it's a brand new structure in place. It's the second window that they're getting a chance to top bowling team to get a crack at it. Different people are doing the negotiations, even more so than last time. The manager and player recruitment staff are completely different than they were in our last window and last January transfer window. And while there were false starts in the summer negotiations, you have an expectation that there's continual learning happening at that level. And the types of players we're likely to go after is going to be remarkably different. If you listen to our wonderful Tinkerman structure episode that Joe did, the uh, the wonderful soliloquy that he provided on what the future of Chelsea's structure looks like from a footballing perspective. And so those were the first like five things that I could set up, Joe, as just some expectations to set the stage for what we should be anticipating this January. Any thoughts on maybe those or if there's other expectations we should set to kind of anchor ourselves for what the standard of this window might look like? I think this is this is going to be the first window where we can start to properly judge, not probably judge in terms of making sort of, you know, stone sort of cast assessments of what's happening. But I think we'll get some indications of where we are recruitment-wise from a club because you have a, a slightly tricky set of circumstances in that I, I think the brief of players and I think the 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 players we're being linked with fit that very much kind of young, sort of up-and-coming players that will come in, sort of under 23, 24, who will come in, uh, be looked to, de- to be developed into a, a world-class or a, a Premier League or Champions League starting calibre player. Um, but often those players are players that need time to, to come in and settle. They need time to sort of embed into the league to to get accustomed to, to Premier League football and to really learn essentially what, what Potter is asking them to do from a tactical standpoint. Now, that is a little bit un- sort of, I suppose, at odds with, um, you know, the need to get players in and, and have them hit the ground immediately to effectively close this points gap and finish in the top four. We're hearing an awful lot about how that is an assess- you know, a necessity this season. Um I would contend that from a from a recruitment standpoint in the summer, we see that the Champions League is the biggest appeal for players. And if you want to compete for the, the Jude Bellinghams of this world or players of that sort of talent bracket, 
you need to be playing in, in the Champions League. So you're kind of, I suppose, trying to find a bit of a, a sweet spot where you're looking at players who, are, who have uh, plenty of talent, lots of developmental room, but have also the capacity to come in and, and make an immediate impact. So I think in terms of us evaluating or starting to get a feel for where the club is from a recruitment standpoint, players that we're looking at, I, I don't know if we're going to spend hundreds of millions on a single player. Um, I think certainly the the, the Badia Chile um, sort of links to to the chat from Monaco versus somebody like uh, Guardiola at uh, at Red Bull. I think you're looking at certainly a, a kind of a disparity between obviously the money that is being spent there, whether that money could be better allocated, better used for players in January to come in and and help push towards the second half of the season. So I am I'm very curious. I'm very intrigued to see both obviously the names are being linked to, but the profile of players, but also the, there is an added extra where we are doing a bit of chasing, we are playing a bit of catch up and there will be expectations that, that players that come in January, yes, we obviously want them to be long-term players, but they have to almost have a bit of an immediate impact. Otherwise, we're sort of hoping on on the, the squad as is to sort of reclaim and those points, uh, sort of differential that we need to make up. And I think that's that's probably where I want to join in, right? Like we're, for, for those who haven't been, uh, paying attention for those who are new to the show, which we know there are some new new folks joining after the World Cup. Chelsea are going to be paying for the sins of previous transfer windows for some time. You don't have to do that all in this window, right? Um, there's a lot of work to be done with the squad. There's a lot of work to be done with the org. You, you have to make smart-ish choices in January where you can afford to make smartish choices. But I would also say that Chelsea have been dealt among the worst injury hands in the Premier League this year, i.e. take a look at Reese James from the other day. You know, we don't know if he's going to be 100% fit at any point through the end of the season, right? Reliable for every game in a, in a six-game stretch in three weeks, like we've seen him do time and time again. So it may be that you're forced into a couple of these signings because you need backup in midfield, in defense, in, you know, at right back, whatever because that is just what you need to survive this season. Uh, I don't think it would be reasonable in this case, Dan, to assume that as Piliqueta, for example, could play every single minute that Reese James is not able to play um, and, and perform at the level that I think we will need to be successful in the league campaign. And that's not a slight against this Piliqueta. I just don't think the way that we play is so reliant on Reese James doing Reese James things that you can't have someone that's vastly different from him in that role and still be successful. It's going to be interesting to see what the bounce of activity looks like in terms of how much of it is plugging a hole for the injuries of players currently in the side. The fact that we have players who are out of contract at the summer window, such as Jorginho and N'Golo Conte. So you know that midfield is an area of concern. We've seen multiple reports from many of our friends in the press who are talking about a fact that there's an attacker, looking, they're looking for a right back, a center mid, a center back. And so we think about trying to sign four top quality replacements in a January window. That does seem to be a very hefty feat when you think about the fact that you see Arsenal looking to reinforce their side. Every top side is looking to get some business done. You saw Cody Gakpo go to Liverpool in just some crazy fashion in an ultra quick deal to reinforce their side because they don't want to get left behind. When we think about some of these expectations and maybe the change in ownership, the structure of the recruitment team being different, I mean, I guess what are some of, or what do you think maybe some of the 
changes to this approach are going to be the hardest for supporters to wrap their head around, Nick? You know, I kind of thought maybe is it the lack of perceived experience in some of the recruitment roles? Obviously, we've, we've built up a recruitment team, but they're not all in place yet. Some are still on, on gardening leave, which is basically just like a uh, an anti-competition issue to make sure that you don't take all of your data from one company and bring it to another. Maybe, you know, Todd and team's lack of experience with football agents or other clubs, which they have built up, but maybe it's not where some supporters would like it to be. And then not knowing which sources are on getting briefs, so you don't really know who maybe is the most trustworthy reporter journalist to kind of take a look at because you feel like nobody is getting the right information anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think all of those are really good shouts, and and I'd call out the the sources as a particular problem child, right? And it's making sure that you are getting briefed with the right information, that your extensive you know recruitment team that you put together are getting the right sorts of information, or if they aren't, that they're vetting what is right and what's wrong. I would add one more bullet to this list and, and pass it to Joe, and that's media management. Um. I think there's been a lot of leaks out of Chelsea and, you know, since Todd has shown up with, about certain players, about certain recruitment staff, about just telegraphing which ways we're going. And that to me is dangerous because as you saw with the Gakpo Liverpool deal, uh, real G's move in silence like lasagna, that is a absolute steal uh, at, at the rate that we were, you know, purportedly being heard, you know, 55 million for, for United to, to claim him, they got him for 37 plus some add-ons if, if he performs well, right? That's what happens when you're silent in the window. And I would just, you know, I, I think brief the right sorts of media, Joe, that would be my kind of uh, note there. But maybe all of the sources that are kind of getting information right now doesn't help Chelsea. Yeah, it's a, it, it is a really good point. I think in some ways there was, there was a pushback when the new ownership came in to be a lot more open and transparent. And I think maybe certainly that is, is when we're looking at lessons learned from the summer. And they have been, by the way. Yeah, they have been. Absolutely. Yeah, they have been a lot more transparent. They've been a lot more open. I think one of the lessons that, that they would have learned from the summer, I think you're absolutely right there in terms of looking at the 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 management of that information flow. And certainly when it comes to uh, picking a, a trusted source or journalist or whoever that might be, somebody who is access to privileged information somebody who can disseminate things out there for for the right possible reasons as well. But we don't want to get in a situation as well where we're having sort of every single move we're making for a, a Rafinha or a Matisse de Ligt or whoever it was in the summer become public news and, and allow other clubs to sort of jump in and, and gazump them. Um, you know, we, we've done it in the past with players like William when he was going to Tottenham, you know, when it, when it became very public and it became a very um, sort of out there affair, we sort of jumped in and, and we were able to make that move. We've done it with other players as well. Um, so I think hoping that that is, is something that they, they've learned is to keep their cards a little bit closer to their chest. There's nothing wrong with being open and transparent when it comes to communicating. But um, I think if they're really, really interested in a player, and, and probably I think maybe the, the is it Andre Santos deal probably speaks volumes of that approach where mm -hmm. it kind of came, you know, unless you are really into that, that sort of style of uh, South American football, you wouldn't have known that Chelsea was sniffing around him. And, and I think that came a little bit out of the blue. Um, same as the Fafana guy as well that we've, is it Fafana? Yeah, it's Fafana. Yeah. The, yep. the, the chat that we signed from, from Bel um, from Norway, sorry. Um, you know, again, very, very little in terms of, of news circulating around him in terms of the interest. And you might say, yes, for that profile of play, it's a little bit easier to do. 
Um, but you want to try and keep, I think, that as an approach going forward. Doesn't matter what size the the, the player is in terms of profile. Um, but when we're looking at even, even for example, the, the Badu Shile news has come a little bit out of out of nowhere in terms of Chelsea, you know, putting in bids and stuff like that. So when it comes to that stage, I think it's absolutely fine. You've obviously you're in a position where you are maybe 60, 70, 80 percent away in terms of a negotiation. Um, you're happy to kind of communicate that. Obviously, news will kind of filter out naturally anyway, both from the club purchasing Chelsea in this case and Monaco and, and you know, obviously to try and control the, the media narrative around the player. Um, but managing it, I think, in the ways that they've done more recently, I think is certainly the approach to take. And I think, again, if we're looking for positives out of the summer window, I think certainly the way that they are managing that information flow and it being a lot more tightly controlled compared to what we've seen uh, certainly during the, the summer, I think that is an initial positive step. Um, and I think hopefully we'll reflect again when we purchase players in January. I'm hoping that we have that ability to spring one or two, um, slightly, maybe not necessarily left field in terms of nobody knows who they are, but some options that that are out there that we can go and find and, and actually bring in who are going to help us, I think, actually say, both sort of kind of maintain where we are and obviously push on for the second half of the season. But those obviously who are not necessarily being negotiated in public all the time, giving teams the ability to come in and, and potentially sort of jump that deal. Maybe, Dan, even throw out a false flag or two. Maybe make Arsenal's transfer life a little bit more rough than it could be. I don't know. No, that would be the worst thing in the world. We, we couldn't do that. We couldn't make it difficult Wink. for others. Anyway, we're going to take a real quick break before we get into looking at the ways to survive. So our list of ideas for how your summer tra- or January transfer window can be just a little, little nicer, mentally speaking, as you advance. But look, we're going to take a real quick ad break and we'll be right back. If you're bored of the US Netflix, why not just take it for a spin in the UK? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you with over 5,000 plus server options. No show is out of your reach. Using my link, nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue, you can receive a huge discount on a two year plan plus one free month. We all love to binge, but look, privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an affected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk when you use our 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue you a refund. You can pretend the entire situation never happened. Check out my link again. That's nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue to get your subscription started today. Uh, just a reminder, hey, uh, there's, we got a merch store. You can go uh, click the link in the description if you're listening to the podcast. And uh, we also got a weekly newsletter, too, that you can sign up for. That's really exciting. Uh, this one's coming out uh, probably by the time you've listened to this episode, talking about uh, the crazy world of winter transfers and the end of another year and the start of another one. But look, Nick, we got to come up with a plan. We have recommendations for what... You could do to stay sane during the January transfer window. One would be just to not go on any type of social media, to go put yourself in a cave, roll the rock behind it, tune out the world. But that's probably not the most realistic and logical pathway for most people. So I came up with a list here. We can add to it. But I started off with like realizing the fact that your ideal transfer target, the target list that you generated when you're looking at your football manager save, when you're playing FIFA does not 100% match what the club's list is going to look like. Yeah, it sure doesn't. Um, 
you know, I, I know that there are, there are a bunch of folks doing advanced scouting on FIFA right now, or who are on FB ref looking at different sorts of player profiles and groupings and, and things like that. Maybe doing some research on Opta. Maybe, maybe you went as far as to get some of the advanced analytics tools and, and you're kind of playing scout uh, behind the, uh, behind the pane of Twitter. Uh, Yes, of course, it's nice when the player you identified, <clears throat> Joe, uh, has has made <laughs> it on, on their way to Chelsea and you can claim victory. Uh, but the club is in a different spot now. They're trying out some different things. Obviously, you know, we've already referenced a couple of the signings just being, you know, the potential signings being different from what we looked at in the summer, um, which is more of kind of a, a panic by summer, I think. So... You know, there is a a great feeling when, you know, you played with someone on FIFA or you've identified someone through the advanced analytics tools that you think would be good or just the eye test, you know, which is what I frankly use quite a bit to determine if a player could potentially play for Chelsea. I just think that there should be an open mind had if, if we sign someone that maybe wasn't on your list or someone that kind of came out of thin air, like a Batty Shield, for example. And that's what I think I'd want. Uh, Joe, the the rest of our fine folks listening to the show to realize is that you know the the club has way more advanced tools. They have many more personnel uh, to do this sort of work, and I think the best thing that we can do right now, unless there's a grievous error made uh, along the way, is just trust that they're doing the job that they're being paid to do. Yeah, and I think the you made a point sort of in the in the early parts, Nick, which I think is, is really fascinating and probably just worth elaborating on a tiny bit. We're, we're coming sort of into this window on the back of a World Cup in a very strange position when it comes to January window. Um, you know, the the propensity for, for teams to fall in love with a player who has played really well four or five times for their country in an incredibly specific set of circumstances and, and whatever it might be. Uh, to then sort of demand that that player becomes part of, of Chelsea's transfer policy when they may not even be starting for their club side, they may not even be playing in, in the same position, they, they don't play in a, a shape or formation that Chelsea play or whatever it might be at club level. I think you've, you've got lots and lots of, of noise to filter through when it comes to, as you say, sort of finding your uh, sort of happy medium when it comes to players that Chelsea are signing. I think one thing that I'll, I'll say just from sort of carrying over from the Tinkerman episode is that this, this group of people that are being put together are, are incredibly data-driven when it comes comes to the analytics side of the game. So they are going to be finding players, they are going to be unearthing players who have um, the potential to be a, a top Premier League player who are currently playing in, in uh, might be the, the depths of, of a mid or lower mid-table team in Ligue 1, for example, in Portugal, Germany, Austria, Norway, in whatever sort of league that they can find these players. Um, so when we are being linked to people that maybe you are unfamiliar with or who aren't the, the latest shiny toy um, from the World Cup or, or, you know, somebody who's been performing well in the Champions League this season, they will try as much as possible to not spend 100 million euros plus on a player. They will try to find that player one or two steps earlier in their career and hope that with Graham Potter's coaching expertise to develop that player into that caliber of a footballer. So don't be, too, I would say probably don't be too upset if we are not putting in, you know, a 130 million euro bid for Enzo Fernandez and then another 100 million euros for Guavadal and then another whoever it's going to be playing right back. And, you know, we're not going to spend 400 million euros in a January transfer window. So I think if you can rationalize that they... But are you sure? But are I mean, you I, sure? I, okay. I'm not, I'm not absolutely sure, but I, I'm not even a betting man, but I would probably wager 99% certainty that we won't spend 400 million euros. Um, maybe 300, who knows? But 
I just I just want people to know that you know we we may go for one big name in in January if you think that that person can obviously help and then they have that long term potential. Um, but these the guys that they're bringing in are being brought in because we don't necessarily want to be spending that sort of sums of monies on player. We want to be able to try and find a Fafana for ten million pound or whatever the fee was that we paid for him, and and he develops into a, a Chelsea caliber player. So don't be surprised if we do fill gaps in the squad. Um, with lesser known players or lesser heralded players because that will be part of the approach that these guys are taking is to try and find those those guys that, that kind of like the move before the move they want you know van dyke at celtic before he goes to southampton they want they want to find players who who have that caliber of, and have that quality um and and they have the pedigree particularly the guys we've signed from brighton you know they they, they have found the likes of, of basuma and saicedo and all these guys that probably would start at chelsea at this point in their careers you know, they'll be looking to try and find the next version of that player to bring to Chelsea rather than the the next shiny, big, flashy toy. doesn't mean we won't go and make big major signings that we don't have the funds to. Um, but I think certainly if they could find two starting caliber players and pay 50 million euros each of them rather than 100 million euros for a for a Garrido or, or, or whoever it might be in terms of the, the centre-backs we're looking at or midfielders or whatever, I think they'll try and they'll try and use the funds in a slightly more efficient manner. And they'll use that sort of data-driven analytics side of things to try and find and unearth some of those talents um, and bring them to the club in January, I would imagine. Another way to survive is to try to identify the primary source of a story rumor what you'll tend to see in this period is that a snowball effect will occur with a rumor and it will start on one website and it'll be in a different language and it will then go to another publication and another publication and somehow then it ends up on sky or the daily mirror and you're just wondering how it is we're linked to 50 to 100 different players in a single window. This is how it happens because an unnamed source or someone close to the club or an agent or a player player entourage individual briefs somebody, the story gets out, and you don't know how much of that is true, how much of that is the smokescreen. But if you can try to identify back to the primary source, it might take you one, two, maybe even three extra clicks, Nick, to get down the line. But figuring out who it is to trust and figuring out for those reporters and writers who I think we as a community have high confidence behind, it's almost as important for what they don't report as what they do report in terms of the rumors that are coming across in terms of trying to substantiate the links between a player and a club. Yeah, go go do this thought exercise for yourself right now. Go look at any of the, I think the primary Chelsea journalists, we'll call them, you know, whether it be Matt or Orenstein or, or Nazar Kinsella or uh, Adam Newsom or any of these guys, you know, Liam Toomey, Simon Johnson. There, there are a bunch of, of guys who have been at this for quite a while, who've been doing this job for, for some time, who know a little bit of fact from fiction uh, and, and can suss this out. At look at all of the rumors and then look at the rumors that they talk about. I think it's a fascinating read. Uh, we have the uh, luxury of getting to talk to Matt a couple times a month, and we'll talk to him or, about three times in January about all these rumors and transfer dealings and stuff like that. Same with Naz. And, you know, in in one way or another, we'll ask about, hey, what are you hearing about this guy? And they're like, absolutely not. There's not, there's not even a thing to talk about. Don't even worry yourself about it. And so while we have the luxury of talking to them about it, look at just what they're writing about. 
Uh, doesn't mean that they're always going to be 100% right, Dan, but this to me is a really great point when you're disseminating information. I remember the early 2000s and every transfer rumor was so exciting and 98% of it was complete bullshit um, because, you know, we need stuff to write about. We need stories to tell. Uh, I would check out that that Chelsea lifer journalist list and make, make some uh, – Maybe some indications of your own, uh, whether we're after someone or not. All right. So that is another one. But I think one, Joe, that people don't always appreciate is the mm -hmm. fact that in a 24-7, 365 live streaming culture, that deals do not happen as quickly as it is for us to produce a podcast talking about it or to drop a TikTok video explaining a transfer, that there is a ton of negotiation because it's not just one club with one club. There's the player. There's multiple clubs usually going in for the types of players Chelsea are going after. There's multiple deals and negotiations with the player and his entourage or their entourage themselves. Like there is just a lot that has to come to fruition to get a deal across the line. And it is never as quick as we would want it to be. And uh, as much as the uh, the Chelsea Twitter admin gets the announced player name tweets uh, every day on every <laughs> single tweet that they drop until the player is signed. <laughs> I'd actually forgotten that those existed until then. Um, yes, that must be the, the absolute best part of being a social media sort of executive at, at Chelsea or, or any football club during the window. Um, so I, I had a friend of mine who is a, a fairly prominent agent explain this to me. And I think actually this is the best explanation I have of this in terms of, in terms of deals. For you buying a player as you would buying a piece of property, you would like to move in tomorrow, you'd like to get it all done and dusted, you'd like it done, but you have chains involved. That, that person who you're buying the property from, they're also buying a property or they need to replenish the player that they're selling. You know, there is all these sort of various aspects there. There is tons of admin to do. There is loads and loads of due diligence to do. There are tons of checks you have to do. There's loads of checks about the player, which are like medicals or the equivalent when it comes to, to buying a property. There is so much paperwork and hidden admin and uh, negotiation around very, very small minuscule details that then don't even factor into the, the equation that the team that we're buying from are also having to do that for another player in terms of bringing that player in. So if you think about all of the, the, the sort of multitude of things that you need to do to sign a player, from medicals to agree a, a contract, to agree sort of image rights, to agree a fee with the club, to agree a bonus structure, to agree a length of contract, to agree whatever it might be. And that, that's an incredibly sort of watered down version of negotiations. The club we're buying from is also doing that for, for another player. Um, and then you have to factor in as well that the, the January window is probably the worst time to, to buy or lose a, a potential player, particularly if we just use Enzo Fernandez as an example here, somebody who has just come off the back of an incredible World Cup, whose value is probably, you know, in terms of them being able to achieve that buy-up clause as close to that as possible. But a player who is incredibly pivotal to the, the remainder of their season, you know, they're very unlikely to be able to go in, even with, we, even with that sort of money, go and afford a player or, or buy a player who has that sort of caliber and therefore, you know, the entire structure of their team will likely have to change to the second half of the season. So you have all of these kind of equations and, and, and variables thrown into, into the mix. Um, and I think people just obviously need to take a little bit of a step back and realize that this isn't a two or three day conversation. These are conversations that should probably have started either the beginning of December or even mid-November mid when it comes to players that if you're looking at very, very long-term targets, um, 
when you're maybe being a little bit more reactive, if we're looking at Reese James's situation, the need to maybe go and find a, a starting caliber right back or wing back in this window, that is going to have to accelerate a little bit more. So now you're kind of maybe moving your recruitment resources to find somebody very quickly when you're, you're kind of maybe moving them from other positions. So there's only a finite amount of scouting, a finite amount of planning that the club can do. But all of this kind of rolled into a gigantic ball is, is really just to say that this is not a... It, negotiations in football are not easy at the best of times. In January, that is kind of put under the, the microscope and it, it sort of goes exponential in terms of difficulty as you sort of progress through the, the January window. Um, but it's it's very much as say, use, use that house buying analogy, all of the bits and pieces you need to do to buy a property. You want to move in tomorrow, the, the likelihood of that happening, it's going to be months and months, whatever it might be. The other person who is selling the property is also trying to buy. It's, it's a very convoluted situation. I think that, that goes some way to rationalize the, the process of, of negotiating, but also the complexity with which this window is going to have to be handled by, by Chelsea's team. And as we've seen so in, in summer, um, Todd can absolutely get a deal done, can get a deal done at a good price. Um, it's now sort of, I suppose, under a microscope given. I think teams will know that we need to reinforce in certain areas. And we've been very, I think, I think obvious in terms of our weaknesses this season, in terms of where we need to buy as well. So there's lots of pressures on him to negotiate, but also obviously the team to deliver the, the right sort of portfolio of players for us to purchase that are actually going to to help this this second half cam, uh, Premier League campaign that we're, we're about to sort of embark upon. And just like buying a home, you'll have multiple offers, right? Yes. Like this is a, you know, a competitive environment. Why, you know, it's impressive what Liverpool did with Gakpo, for example, is we knew it was going to be a competitive environment for that player, and they still were able to get in there, negotiate it, get it done. Um, so, yes, obviously that is the best case scenario, but we as Chelsea fans know that there are a bunch of worst case scenarios out there in terms of negotiations where we're getting gazumped at the last minute uh, for a player that we thought we had wrapped up. So yeah, patience is a virtue um, when, when trying to suss out how this all works, because it does take a ton of time. All right, everybody, if you know my voice, you know what this means. It's producer Jake. It's the second ad break of the episode. And then we're right back into it. Thank you so much to our sponsors. Be right back. The last one that I had, and then I'll throw it to you guys in case there's any other rules that you want to tack on the list list, because it's, it will grow over time. We will continue to iterate on this, but it's a Chelsea have a lot of work to do. We mm. talked about multiple positions. We talked about the fact that looking back on it now, when you were recruiting for a specific manager during the summer after a period of transition with limited time, maybe some of the deals you would have negotiated if you had had more time or knew you were going to transition to a different manager, maybe you wouldn't have done that. And so I think we could just raise our hands and say, the summer transfer window that we just experienced was not the best window we've ever seen for Chelsea. We also know that Chelsea have an aging midfield, an issue in attack, goalkeeper contract issues, the need for a deputy right back, center back as well is another one that we're seeing. And as much as we would like it all to get the magic wand treatment and to wake up tomorrow and have all of those issues fixed in a singular window, that just is super unrealistic when you think about the fact that incoming and outgoing has to balance in some capacity and financial fair play is a, a rolling calendar. You don't, you know, you can spend a lot now, but then you're going to need to find ways to get under the couch cushions or tighten the belt later to make sure that your books all look right. And things like qualifying for the champions league will play an important part in that. And so I guess that's the last thing I would stress, Nick, is that if your expectation is that we plug five first-team holes or even four first-team holes in this 
January window, I, I do think you may be setting yourself up to be disappointed. If it does happen, over the moon. Oh my gosh. It, and if if it sets us on a trajectory to make sure that we finish top four and you know advance into a really great summer, we'll be looking back at this and saying like, hey, we were crying a little, the sky is falling, but I would rather tether myself in reality and be pleasantly surprised that we exceeded the expectation than hope for all of this to be plugged and then be super disappointed when it didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, obviously with all of the previous qualifiers that we put in here, I think if you get three deals done in a January window, that's like extraordinary. Like it's a really big number, um, you know, three, because it's just a limited window. Yes. There's pre-negotiation that happens uh, all across the world. Obviously GAC was at Liverpool, even though it's not January 1st, right? There's, there's stuff that can happen previously, but January is 30 days. We have a, what a full fixture list in January that we're probably going to play a makeup game in now. Um, so it, it's just not a whole lot of time. And even if they do come in, it's not a whole lot of time to bet in. Like, you, I mean, you're basically hoping that they're really ready to play and be a part of the system by like late February, early March, if they come in late January. So the, the ideal scenario is obviously to have them prepped and ready to go. Jan one, I don't think that's going to happen for, for Chelsea football club in in many different ways. Uh, obviously, Fafana and, and Santos being kind of younger players with younger profiles who maybe need more time to to reach that first team level. But if you're talking about three qualified first team footballers, right back, center back, midfielder, I don't know, just throwing out a couple of positions there, like those are that's going to be challenging. Um, it's why it's really important to have a great academy. Because a player like Lewis Hall, who most people forgot about uh, over the last 60 days, is going to have a role to play at Chelsea in, in 2023. Because we simply are not going to buy a fourth or fifth or sixth player in January, most likely. right? Uh, so having a great academy and buying smart, as smart as you can, Joe, in January, I think those are, those are kind of the recipe for success for me. Um, and making sure that we aren't, you know, just blowing the budget out of the water to have a subpar summer. Yeah, I, th- I think that's, yeah, I mean, th- that's completely spot on. Uh, I think the, the point, certainly when it comes to the, the positions you've picked there, I think they have to be the, the priority. And, and again, I think to, to the point of, of looking at hopefully if they get the, the Badishile signing over the, over the line, that is not a sort of an extraordinary amount of money to pay for a player who I think certainly has the capacity to, to play for Chelsea quite early in, you know, in, in his career here. Um, if you can find players who have a similar profile, maybe you, maybe you try and find maybe one long-term sort of starter piece and you're happy to pay a little bit more over the top for them. Um, but I think you're, you're, you know, you're right. You can't expect the club to go out and, and sign you know, the, the, maybe the four or five plus holes that are in the, in the first team at the moment. You can't expect them to go and drop £80 million plus on, on these positions and, and hope that that is just sort of going to, to continue into the summer. I think an intelligent use of money, I think, again, the difference between playing you know, over €100 million Euros for, for, for Guavadol versus for, you know, Badia Chile is, is probably a sensible thing to go for the, the Frenchman at Monaco. In that case, it gives you a lot more money to play with. Um, I don't think in terms of the, the money that we've invested in centre-backs, given you know, the Kudabadi spending, the Fafana signing, etc., um, spending another hundred million pound plus on an, on another centre back is necessarily the best um, kind of use of, of resources there, particularly with somebody like Levi Cobble, who seems to be sort of hitting a little bit of uh, a former at Brighton and can come back and potentially be that sort of player. Um, I would be looking 
I think, again, for, for somebody in midfield, I, I think, uh, you know, Dennis Zakaria's sort of performance, just the legs that he has, the, the athleticism that he brings to the centre of the park, the aggression, the ball winning, the carrying, you know, he's not the greatest technician on the planet, but just having somebody in that team that can do that, that you know, do that sort of job, I think made such a massive sort of difference to the way we were playing. You'd be looking at somebody maybe who has a similar sort of traits to him, that kind of box-to-box skill set that you could try and find. But I think probably the most important position is to find somebody who can do some of the things that Reese James can do. It, it's so clear that, you know, when he went off injured, um, you know, against against Bournemouth, it was virtually the, the you know, the, the, the entire sort of makeup of that game changed on its head in, in one sort of substitution. So we can't be in a position where we lose that outlet on the right-hand side and then the entire team ceases to, to function. So if you're going to sort of invest money and, and looking at somebody to bring in, I would be looking potentially for somebody to, to play in that role and, and just say to them, look, at, at the moment, Reese is, is starting less than 50% of the games for Chelsea. So, you know, yes, there will be competition, but you are going to play an awful lot of football. Plus, we know Reese is a, is a pretty phenomenal right-sided centre-half if you want to drop him back into that position and maybe take a little bit of the strain off of him when he's playing. Um, but that, that would be where I'd be looking to, to sort of invest in. But those, those three positions, I think, are key. Um, I think that the centre-back is fine for that sort of money. I'd be looking to get somebody in midfield who has that athletic box-to-box kind of qualities. And then I would be looking to try and find a, a right wing-back who can do some of the stuff that Reese does. But it's, it's going to be tricky. But if, as I think Nick mentioned, nailing those three signings will give us a real big chance the second half of the season to, to sort of recover the points of it we have and potentially to actually set some foundations for, for next year as well. So those are our initial rules. And hopefully they help put you in a place to survive this January transfer window. I think before we get out of here, Joe, if you were going to make your 30 to 60 second elevator pitch on how to approach it, what would you tell the individual listening to this podcast right now on how they should get through it in, in, in summary? Oh, okay. Um, only listen to only listen to, to top tier sources, people that have a track record. Um, do some due diligence on any rumors that you see post on social media. Um don't buy into the, the trend that every single signing that another team makes is world-class and wonderful and everybody that we're linked with in signing is terrible. Everybody else does that as well. But I think just, just take a step back and be calm. This you know this season isn't going to be completely made or, or broken by what happens in, in this January window. It is important that we get players in, but you know if we don't sign three 300 million euro players or three, you know, whoever it's going to be, it's not the end of the world. I think the club are certainly putting themselves in positions with people they're being linked to. To, to create a good foundation for the second half of the season. But just take a step back, take a deep breath and just really evaluate if we're, are we, are we really being linked to 75 players or is there a, a different agenda at, at play, either from the club or from the player themselves? All right, Nick, your turn for your 30, 60 second elevator pitch. Yeah, mine's pretty easy. Only spend a hundred million pound, you know, transfer values on players that are worth that amount, right? Uh, there's a yeah. ton of inflation happening across some of these player profiles, obviously Enzo being the latest one. If you think he's worth that and you think he can be our midfielder for the next 10 years, fair enough, because he'll be 300 million in two years time or whatever. But um, but really only pay the top, top, top transfer value dollars for players like an Erling Holland who are going to give you a guaranteed return. I mean, for the love of God. I don't ever want to see us spend 70 million pounds on a player who has dodgy knee ever again, or whatever the case is. Like, I, I think that needs to be reserved for that particular profile. And then you got to rely on your coaching staff to coach up the 35 million pound center back to be a 70 million pound center back. Like that's player development one-on-one. Right. Uh, so that would be my, my, 
thing here. It's just only spend top dollar on top return. Well, it's good that Joe gave us one for the fans. Nick gave us one for the club. So there is information for both sides of it as we head into the final part of this window. But look, mine is simple. Listen to London's Blue Podcast because we'll have you covered. Look, uh, look, uh, you guys both had valiant efforts at trying to pass the test there. I'm glad I could come up with the correct answer, though, because we're going to have <laughs> you taken care of all the steps of the way. We'll have more episodes from Joe and Yaz from the Tinkerman coming up in January. We're going to have Matt Law, Naz, Adam back to talk about specific rumors. Our good from Sam, CFC Central, is going to be coming in to talk about a ton of players. I think the dude has watched 250 matches now since Todd Bully has taken over the team. And it's a workhorse, bro. Workhorse. Yeah, the, the gif he used where it was basically everybody beating him with every transfer rumor <laughs> that comes up was quite quite hilarious but don't worry we are taking good care of sam and uh, he is going to be doing a couple more episodes for us and look uh, there's going to be football too so enjoy the football enjoy the fun times uh, take the hope in and embrace the hope of what can happen and don't get into the doom and gloom of what doesn't happen because someone else signs a player or we don't get the one that you were hoping for because it's not all that bad you're still supporting chelsea and look you could have been born a Spurs supporter. So that didn't happen. You're in a better place. But that's going to wrap us up for this one, Chelsea fans. Until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.